Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hi, Richard. How are you today? I'm well, Palma. How are you? I'm good. I'm hoping you can help me with something today. Uh-oh. What's no, going no, on? No, 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 nothing bad. So oh, I good, thought my good. lease was up. As it Which, turns out, it's not up for a bit. Your your car lease? My car lease, yes. Uh-oh. So I know that you just, I think, bought out your car lease. Did you not? I did. I did. I had that uh, debate <laughs> over the last few months as well. So for people that are listening... And have leased a car. I'll tell you what I what happened to me and what I did. My car lease came up, and and as you probably know, at that point you have the op you have two options. You could either buy the car at a predetermined price that was set when you leased the car, or you can give it back. Now there might be some penalties when you give it back because you may have overused it or you may have scratched it. But let's put that aside for a moment. Now. Before you do that, I think what you should do is you should find out what the fair market value is of the car. Mm, and then that's what I that's what I need to do. How do I do that? Well, I I don't have a scientific approach. I went to Auto Trader and I actually just looked at that and put in the car, put in the mileage, and it gives you a range from A to B, and that gives you a rough idea of how much it'll cost. Uh, sorry, not how much it'll cost but rather what the fair market value might be. Now, there's no guarantee that what Auto Trader tells you the car is worth, you will actually find a buyer that will pay for that amount. But it, I think it gives you a rough idea. In my case, I could buy the car out based on the lease agreement for $40,000. Auto Trader said my car was worth closer to $50,000. So I had $10,000 of equity. If I gave the car back, I know what they would do. They would try to sell the car for 50, if not more. Hmm. So I said, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. And I just bought the car out. I guess I could have then sold the car for $10,000 of profit, but I've just decided that I'm going to keep it and drive it. And then we'll see what happens over the next few years. So my advice is before you give the car back, try to find out what the fair market value is of the car. If that number is higher than what it would cost for you to buy the car from the leasing company, then you may want to consider buying it, either keeping it or just flipping it on your own, which which is not easy to do, but mm. that is an option that you could do. So that's my experience. Have you looked into how much the car is worth yet? I haven't yet, but I mm -hmm. don't really think I should keep this vehicle. Yeah, actually. there are other con other yeah. considerations. So you, what are you thinking? Well, it's had some mechanical issues. Yeah, that's and I've had it in the shop in the last, say, six months a few times. Mm -hmm. So I'm a See, little wary of keeping it just because then at that point it will be 
almost four years old. And that may be when things start to show even more. Yeah, that if the car is um, a lemon or quasi lemon, then quasi. Maybe, yeah, it gives you an idea that it gives you some uh, motivation to give it back. Mm-hmm. But it is it's expensive to continually lease the car. So I may look at just buying. Yeah, my recommendation is if you can afford it, try to buy a car and keep it for as long as you can. I know I haven't done that all the time. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, you never do that. <laughs> I have. I have. I have done it in the past. It's just that the um, the car that I'm driving now, well, now I own it. But when I bought it or leased it, I, I leased it instead of bought it. You can actually get a better car when you lease it because the payments are monthly and they seem to be a little bit more affordable. But over the long term, I think they generally end up costing you more money. All right. I'll, I'll Look at this. secondhand cars if if you can. Oh, definitely. No, yeah. I will do that. You uh, new is too too expensive for me. Yeah, so, yeah. So you're. So, uh, what are we doing today? What are we talking about today? We're talking about the stages of grief. Yeah. So okay. I, we will be quoting, or I will be quoting from a book written by Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Believe it or not, in 1969. Yeah. She we were we weren't even born then. No, we she wrote a book on grief and <laughs> grieving. And uh I read it. It's excellent. Um in two thousand I read it too. Hmm, in two thousand and four, it was co-authored, or a commemorative version of the book came out, and it was co-authored by a David Kessler. Yeah. And unfortunately, he is someone who dedicated his life to exploring grief after he lost his son. Yeah. Yeah. And uh a, a, a I'll, we'll start with stage number one. Do you have any idea what that would be? Denial. Denial. It is denial. It's. <laughs> I, sent- I checked. I checked the notes. <laughs> Did you? Okay. It's a state of shock. In order to protect the psychological mind, the body functions in auto mode, so to speak. That was definitely me. Yeah, auto mode is a good adjective for my life as well. In the first, probably close to the first year, I'll give you a couple examples. I thought the funeral itself would be devastating for me. I didn't know if I could last uh, an hour mass, an hour funeral mass. But, and I'm a little embarrassed to say it was easy. I didn't have any feelings at all. I was numb. I was just going through the process. In shock. In shock, another good word for it. And then Mary's birthday, which is on the 28th of March, came by and I had the same numbness, almost nonchalant. Okay, another birthday, big deal. Mother's Day came around in May. And although she's not my mother, we did celebrate. We did. And we still do celebrate all the mothers. Uh, uh, Nothing. Nothing really hurt. I didn't feel anything. But in October, which is our anniversary month, uh, we were married on October the 11th. I think that's when the denial stage for me started to end and I did start to come out the other end and the grieving process started to really, really hurt at that point. You really felt it at that point. I did. I did. But I was in denial probably for about nine months in my case. How about Mm -hmm. you? I reacted in a very different way to the funeral. I don't remember any of it. Yeah. Uh, so that's how my mind was coping, I suppose. I actually didn't even know who came, who didn't come. And it wasn't until I read um, the guest book 
while I was sending thank you notes that I realized that people had attended. I had no idea. I didn't know. I didn't remember faces. I didn't remember speaking to people at all. So I suppose that's how my uh, my mind was coping with things. Yeah, Just I, again, I, 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 it's a tough, tough part um, of the stages. I think I'm not sure if we'll all go through them, but I think this one is definitely one that everybody will go through. Oh, and I maybe, agree, and maybe more times than one. I once. agree. It's it's how your it's how your mind is protected at that yeah, point. Yeah, and, and so it leads me to a financial recommendation here. Mm-hmm. During that period of time, in my case, it was around nine months in the denial stage. I wasn't really intellectually <laughs> at my best. And I really think that if I'm going to, if I would make a recommendation here, it would be try not to make any major decisions during the first year. And what I mean by that is don't sell the family home during the first 12 months of your grieving. You may eventually have to do that, but I think you're not thinking clearly. And that is a huge decision to to make. Another one would be getting remarried. Mm, uh, you may want to still get remarried. I'm not saying not to, but I don't think you should do that in the first year. Um, another one would be changing your job. You might say, okay, I've had enough. And, and that might be a trigger to say, okay, I quit. And then moving on to another job and then regretting what you've done. So postpone the major decisions. Go through this particular stage uh, the, as best you can. Mm-hmm. Very What's good the, advice. What, but now I'm getting angry. <laughs> good segue. <laughs> so the next stage, number two, is anger. And I had a lot of this, a lot. So whether it is anger towards family, friends, people that you thought should be there for you, but weren't in fact, or said the wrong thing, whether you're angry at the deceased, the God of your religion, uh, yourself, or the randomness of the universe, it just, grief feels like your life is out of control completely. Suddenly you have structure though, through your anger and you use that. And I did. How about you? Did you? Yeah, yeah it, it's such a twisted way to organize or to find structure in your life. Anger should not be the way you structure your life no. or to or find a structure. But I, I, I'm guilty. I I was angry about everything, about Mary dying, about the randomness, about why God let this happen. I was angry about being left alone. I'm a planner and all my plans are are gone. And mm. I had to I've had to redo them over the last, you know, four years or so. The other thing that I I was very angry about, and you and I have talked about this, is how some people reacted. And many, uh, some of my immediate relatives, in my opinion, didn't react in the way that I expected them to. And I got very angry. Uh, For example, at the time, my youngest was 17 years of age. She lost her mom. And I was hoping that one of the relatives or maybe more of them would come up or step up and be maybe a surrogate mother, take her out for lunch or dinner or take her shopping. That didn't happen. Albeit we had COVID, we were all very scared to get together, but there was a telephone. There still is telephone and there still is internet. 
and that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I got angry about that. How about you? What what were you angry about? Similar situation with friends and not mm-hmm. so much family. They were very much there for me, but friends who I thought should be there for me weren't. They disappeared essentially. And I think they were afraid of me. They were afraid to be around somebody who was widowed. It, they were afraid it, of becoming you. Yes, they were afraid of becoming me. So they stayed away. Right. And I made attempts to reconnect with them. And then after a while, I thought, you know, they probably aren't the type of friends that I want anyway. So yeah. I let those relationships go. You did, the, think... you did the best thing. You did the mm-hmm. right thing, in my opinion. I, mm-hmm. have a, I have a cousin who to this day has said maybe five words to me. And we were, we have been very close in, in our life. I met him about two years after Mary died and it was just a random event. It was not planned or anything. And he looked a little embarrassed and he said, well, I'm sorry I haven't reached out, which if he had just stopped there would have been good. But then he went on to say, I'm sorry I didn't reach out. I have been busy. Oh, wow. So he's been busy. Right. And I said, you know, gosh, if only you knew what I've gone through and you would never have said anything like that. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, that made me angry. Mm -hmm. And then some of my anger were, I I think it was directed maybe improperly. And and you can't control it at that point. But I I remember being very mad at my siblings. We Uh get together at my mom's, not so much now, but prior to the the last few years, we would get together at my mom's every Sunday afternoon, all the family. Good tradition. Yes. And um, I was so upset because they were showing affection to their spouses. (laughs) They were hugging them. And how, I, dare how, them, dare, eh? how dare they? I miss Dave so much. How could they show affection in front of me immediately afterwards? I mean, so ridiculous. They weren't doing anything wrong at all. And then going up to the cottage, I, I distinctly remember going up with a few friends and they talked when we were just sitting down talking and they were talking about how messy their husbands were no, and that no. they left their socks <laughs> the bed. socks they are they left the toilet seat up and i thought how insensitive that they could even talk mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. first of all i'm sitting there and i've just lost my husband and they think that that's important enough to discuss all i wanted was him back and, and, and i would have would wished give. for him to be yeah exactly for him yeah. to be messy would have been easy right um, i know i know that, they, they're not walking in your shoes no. at that particular time and and I hope they never do, um, but they don't understand. No, they don't get it at all. So that leads us to the next stage. Okay, we're at number three. Number three. Number three is bargaining. Bargaining. And boy, did I bargain. I bargained <laughs> about everything. All right, well, tell me about the bargaining. So it is if-only statements, regrets about what you did or didn't do before the person died. Also, it can be negotiation for a longer life for yourself. And I, I'm guilty of that. I did that. I was just, I turned into a hypochondriac. Oh, in what way? What did you do? It was so important for me to be on this earth for my daughters. I didn't want them to be um, without a mom and a dad. So I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought if I felt a pinch, I thought, oh gosh, then yeah, I have some disease or something of the sort. And I, I, was so focused or hyper-focused on being as healthy as I could. So I started working out a lot and and uh, eating in a different way and 
it, it, for a while, and I'm, I'm still a healthy eater, I like to think so, but it was all because I was bargaining to live longer for them. Yeah, you didn't want to leave the kids orphaned. No. And, and your kids were so young. They were they, tiny. I just, it's, it's all I, I just, I kept actually praying <laughs> to whoever would listen to please let me live so they wouldn't be without a right. mom and a dad. Oh right. my goodness. How did you bargain? Well, the if onlys really, yeah, I, I had a lot of if onlys. I think the main one that I, I should bring up is that I, I kept, I kept saying, if only Mary and I had talked more about her possible death and an eventual death. We didn't really do that. She didn't want to go there. And I'm not going to criticize that opinion, but it it did leave a lot of unanswered questions. For example, I didn't know where she should be buried based on her wishes. She never told me. I didn't know if she wanted a, a mausoleum or to be buried in the ground. I didn't know how she wanted me to continue parenting, especially our, our daughter, our youngest. I thought she could also provide some assistance in determining what to say and how, how to act during weddings and other milestones, or if something bad happened, like a, a sickness or a divorce. We didn't talk about that. Again, it was her choice. I tried to get her to talk. She didn't want to talk. And in hindsight, that is my biggest if only. Mm-hmm. We we did everything we possibly could from a medical point of view. So I I I, I had that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave also did not want to admit that he was going and uh, wouldn't talk about anything. However, for me, it was different. I We had talked a lot about how we wanted to raise the girls and where they should go to school and what we wanted for them. For instance, we always wanted them to travel and oh, appreciate yeah. different cultures and 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 try different food. It was so important to us. So I knew all of that. I knew what his wishes were. I knew even what his wishes were in terms of a funeral. Well, we talked well, about that. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yes, not not because of him, but because of a a, a prior death in his family. And so oh. he had mentioned, I don't ever want, if anything ever happens to me, I don't want it. I don't want my funeral to be like that. So I knew, but what I didn't get from him is because we didn't talk about anything is we didn't really say goodbye. We didn't either. We didn't say goodbye, which is what I really, I would have loved to, from the heart have had that conversation with him. And although he knew I loved him, I wanted to say goodbye and I didn't yeah. get that. Yeah, now now you got me thinking. That's another if only. <laughs> yeah, if only I had said I had if only I had time to say I loved you and I I I will miss you and I will do my best mm-hmm. to raise the kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Okay. Where do we go from there? <laughs> well, I don't know. From a bargaining perspective, is there anything in terms of finances that we need to do? Yeah, I. I think at this point, if you're on stage three, your brain is coming back to more of a normal state or a new normal, if you will. And there's a lot of work to do from a financial point of view. You know, your cash flows, you have to determine whether you can pay the mortgage or whether you have enough money to to stay home or have to go back to work. You have to look at the wills, your, your life insurance. 
or your husband or wife's life insurance, your employer benefits. Unfortunately, there's a lot of work to be done. And this is when you probably will get this, have the strength to begin that process. One recommendation would be not to do it alone. Of course, you can do it alone. But at this point, my suggestion, and, and, and I use this, uh, use this suggestion for myself, is to assemble your team, uh, people that will help you, your accountant, an estate lawyer, your financial advisor, maybe family members, but start putting together um, everything that needs to be done from a paper standpoint and beginning to move forward. Okay. Really good information. So not so much bargaining, but more the stage that we're at. Definitely. Okay. So the next stage, I feel I was in the stage for the entire time. It did. It overlapped. <laughs> and that is depression. Oh yeah. So depression. Definitely. Depression. It, they define it as depression or acute sadness when the great loss begins to more deeply affect your life. So this stage, wow, I was in this for the entire time beginning to, and I don't know if you can even say there was an end, but I was in it. I agree. I, I think I went back and forth between being non-depressed and depressed and throughout the entire, even today, I think I can be easily depressed. Mm -hmm. I, I got depressed when I started thinking about the, the why questions, like why me of all the people in the world? Why me? Why Mary? Why our kids? Why now? And so it was a vicious circle. So the mm -hmm. why questions led to really negative thoughts. And then the negative thoughts led to even more why questions and then more negative thoughts. And it was a vicious circle. Uh, the only way I got out of it um, is through a professional help or with professional help. I had a psychologist that we talked this through and that helped come up with coping mechanisms to stop the negative cycles. Mm -hmm. I did the same. You did that too, right? Yes. I also, I, I needed professional help at that time. I really, really wanted to uh, talk to someone who could guide me. Yeah. Um, and I recommend that even earlier if you can. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Did you do anything unusual during that depression period? Like some people smoke or drink, uh, spend money, uh, I or... did not smoke and I do not smoke and I don't drink excessively, but I, I spend money or I did uh -oh, spend. You did. Oh no. The frugal uh, Palma. I what did, did you that. buy? Well, I'm not frugal necessarily. <laughs> However, I did do something completely out of character. I bought a car mm. and I bought a car that I always loved, but I, I knew I could not afford and probably could not afford when I bought it, but I bought yeah. it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just did. So that's that's how that's I dealt with did. my yeah. depression. No, it's very very common. Retail I, therapy. <laughs> retail therapy. I didn't have the opportunity as much because of the COVID uh, crisis, so I didn't really do that. You could have. I online. could have. I could online. It would have been easy, but I didn't. I I'm not. I don't know. I just never got into that uh, mm -hmm. uh, retail therapy, but maybe I will in the future. <laughs> okay, good. Well, you sort of did. You bought a condo. That's I bought a condo. Of, there you go. I had definitely retail, retail therapy. therapy. Yes. And that actually <laughs> ties into number five. That ties into number five, which is acceptance. So acceptance mm. does not mean that you are okay with your loved one being gone. It just means that you now accept the new reality of your life. You never get over grief, but you start to remember the person with more love than pain. 
And grievers, again, they don't move on. They just move forward, which is what we need to do. Yeah, I think I might be in this stage. And I may have been in it for a period of time. I don't know yet. But I do have a very strong motivation. Recently, I've had a very strong motivation to move forward on my own and to do things that will make me happy. <laughs> I know that sounds a little selfish, but I, I, I just feel that I need to start moving forward. I'll give you an example. You mentioned the condo. Uh, Mary and I didn't buy anything unless we both agreed on it. We didn't agree on the condo, therefore we didn't buy it. But after she passed away, I bought it. Again, not to disrespect her, but basically to say, I want this. I think I can afford it. And I think it'll be good for me and it'll be good for the family. And so I'd accepted that she wasn't going to agree to it. She was never going to come and visit it, but I needed to buy it for myself. And, and that was one way that I found that I could move forward. How about you? For me, it was a gradual process. I don't even think I, I realized when that stage hit me. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it really was eventually I would wake up in the mornings and I could see myself moving forward in whatever way that may be, whether it was eventually dating, which was something that I couldn't even imagine prior to that. I was barely yeah. functioning. So getting through the day, getting through 24 hours was all I could think of. So um, when I started to have thoughts like that, I thought, oh, I, you know, I must be, it, it, it must be getting better. So that's how I realized that I was in the acceptance stage, just gradually. Um, so number six is a new stage, actually. Yes. It was, you ready for it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It was added in 2014 with the release of, as I mentioned previously, the commemorative version of On Grief and Grieving by David Kessler. And so that stage is finding meaning. And that is what we later do or realize as brief people. So what we do to honor our loved ones or what we learned through our grief process that changed us. That's an interesting stage. Finding a meaning in the grief process. The grief process was so difficult. Mm -hmm. But after you've gone through it, is there a way to say, I've learned something through that period of time? And for me, it was roughly nine months of very, very difficult grieving. I think I can say I found two meanings in that period of, of very intensive grief. One was that I wanted to continue Mary's legacy. And her last five years of her life, she spent fighting cancer. And so I felt that one way I could continue her legacy of fighting cancer was to promote or to help promote a study. And there was a study at Princess Margaret Hospital for ovarian cancer, um, trying to detect it earlier. Again, I don't know where that's going to end, but I do hope that it moves the the process up a little bit so that we can one day find the cure. I think Mary would be happy with that. Oh, she would the, be so proud. Thank you. The, the second one's more of a personal transformation. I spent the majority of my career working with business owners, but after she passed away, I just didn't have any passion to, to work with that group anymore. I really found it interesting working with widows and widowers. I found that I found a, a new calling. And so as of about 
2020, I only really worked with widows and widowers, and I helped them put together their financial affairs, put them in order so that they can live hopefully happier. And knowing that their financial affairs are in order, I think that that should help their grieving process. And because I've walked their walk, I can also help with their emotional well-being. How about you? How did you find meaning in grief? So a few ways, um, similar to you, but much smaller scale. The girls and I, when Dave was in the hospital, his room was painted an ugly beige, just a very blah beige. Yeah, they're all like that. They're all like that. And yeah. so, but he didn't, that didn't match his personality. And the girls no. would always say that. They would say, wow, this room is so dreary compared to dad. Should have colored it in blue. Yeah, Maple blue. <laughs> exactly. That would have been great for him. So what we did is we donated a little bit of money to have the room we repainted and it was repainted a really nice yellow. He oh, liked good. yellow and he, it was his personality. He was just happy and sunny. And so we thought that was appropriate. And they, they put a little plaque outside the room and that was donated in his memory. So that was a little thing we did there. Also, right. I really resonate with the building resilience part of finding meaning. I found uh, that through this all, I found a strength that I can use moving forward in other situations. I learned how to deal with stress, not while I was going through with it, but when I came out the other end, I think I learned more about my strength and, and how resilient. And you became, a, I think, a great role model for your girls. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Right. And the next one is connection. Um, oh. Like like you, mm -hmm. when I went through this, I didn't have anyone really that understood at that time. Um, so it was really important to me to connect with others who are going through it and help them and offer my guidance. And if I can help them in any way, then I, I definitely am compassionate towards people that are going through any type of grief um, for whatever reason. And so that, that, and that hence is the podcast and hence the podcast. And it's, it's again, like you said, it's a calling for me. It is, I, uh, I really understand what they're going through. So it's, it's just, a for me, uh, all I want to do. So Richard, I like to end the podcast by asking one thing that you have learned either about yourself or grief during this podcast. Yeah. Regarding the stages, I think there, I learned that they are personal. They're not necessarily going to follow one to five. You're not going to do that. You might start at one and that might be brief or it might be long. And then you might pop to number three and then back to number two or any other order. So I think the grieving process is so personal that you can't compare it to anybody else. Even someone that you think might be very close to you who may have had the same um, tragic event. I don't believe so. So I think go through the stages at your own pace in whatever order you come up with. And I think that that'll be fine. Don't try to do them in order. I don't think that's what the whole book was based on. I don't think it's necessarily something you do in order. I think no. And, and the pace is, is at your own pace. Exactly. How about you? What did well, you do? I'm going to add to that a little bit. Um, and I agree with everything you said, absolutely. Do, do the stages at your own pace and repeat them and do them backwards, whatever it is that that uh, helps you. But also, uh, I would like to add that a lot of family and friends, they think they're doing the right thing, but they they try and encourage you to get through the grief process a little quicker. 
Definitely. I think it makes them uncomfortable. So a lot of times after, a, a, let's just say over a year, they when they ask you how you are, they really want to hear, I'm great. I'm moving on and, and life is fine, but you're not great and you're still suffering and you're possibly in one of these stages. So um, don't let anyone rush you. No, you you go through them at your own pace and friends and family, if you're listening to this, be aware that people do take their time and, and so they should. No argument for me. I, okay. I agree with that. Do it at your own pace. All right, Richard. It was great to talk to you. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners. For more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.